So 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Watch over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Uh, do keep First Peter chapter 5 uh, open in front of you. We're going to be looking at that together for the next little while. Uh, how about I pray? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word to us in this book. Uh, Please help uh, your word uh, be heard through my words. Uh, Help us to listen well uh, and to be shaped and changed by your powerful word. Amen. When a lion is on the prowl, neither the shepherd nor the sheep can sleep. Both are alert and watchful. Uh, It's great to be opening up this chapter of 1 Peter with you tonight. Uh, This evening we're pushing pause on that series uh, in work that Matt mentioned, uh, and we're picking up a book that we didn't get the chance to finish a few months ago. Uh, It's been a while since we looked at it, but helpfully uh, in this chapter, Peter tells us why he's written this book, why he's sent this letter. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 12. Uh, it starts with, uh, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, uh, which sounds a, bit, a little bit like uh, kind regards, best wishes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but here, Peter is giving us the why, why he's written it. Look at what comes next. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. People wants Pete. Peter wants people who read this letter to be able to stand fast in God's grace. In a word, he wants them to be strengthened. Whenever you read any part of 1 Peter from now on, uh, you should know that Peter wants us to be strengthened for the Christian life. 
uh, which makes sense because the Christian life is hard. That's what we've seen in First Peter, isn't it? Uh, here's your recap for the book. Uh, the Christian life is J-shaped. Uh, if you trace the letter J, it goes down a little and then it goes up a lot. Peter reminds his readers about who Jesus is and what he's done. He came down to earth and suffered, suffered all the way down to death on a cross. Death that meant you and I could have life. Uh, If you're new here tonight, if you're checking out this Christianity thing, uh, that is the news that makes sense of everything else about Christianity. It's that we deserve death for ignoring and disobeying God, and Jesus came down and took that punishment for us suffering great injustice along the way. And after that, he was raised to new life in heaven with God. And Peter says that we have that to look forward to as well. Life forever, enjoying God and ruling with Jesus. And so Christians, uh, as we've uh, put on the slide pithily, Christians are people who are chosen for eternity. Eternity with God. People who live that J-shaped life, who suffer now, uh, and who are holy, different, set apart, obedient, even when it's hard, even in the face of injustice. And we saw that good things happen when we suffer like this, that God makes our faith stronger, that we bring glory to God when we stand firm in the Christian life. But the Christian life is hard. The opposition and the suffering that we face now is real, and that is why we need chapter 5. Because between now and when Jesus comes back, Christians will be living at the bottom of that J-curve. There are things and people actively trying to bump us off the path of following Jesus. And so to survive as a Christian, you need to be on your toes. You need to be ready to act. Obedience doesn't come naturally to us. We're going to feel and be affected by the suffering that comes with obeying Jesus. And we need to be prepared for it. Uh, Here's 1 Peter 5 for your notes uh, in a sentence. Uh, To live as as shepherds or sheep, we need to be sober-minded and be strengthened. To live as shepherds or sheep, we need to be sober-minded and be strengthened. First of all, let's look at living as shepherds and sheep. Peter wants his readers to be strengthened, and one of the main ways that God strengthens his church is church. It's this thing that we're doing right now. Uh, The way that he strengthens Christians for the Christian life is to use the roles and relationships that we have at church to strengthen us. And so what God uses, we need to be careful that we don't abuse. Peter says the elders, leaders in church, uh, whether you're a senior minister like Evan uh, or a hub leader, you are an elder. You're a shepherd of this flock. And the elder's job is to care for the sheep until Jesus returns. And Peter says shepherds need to be just as focused on their motivations as they are on their actions. Let's have a look at verse 2 and 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, 
watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. He says you need to be willing to do it, not compelled to do it. You need to be eager to serve, not greedy or seeking personal gain. He says to be a shepherd, you need to lead by example, not lead by demanding. Uh, There are plenty of people here who are shepherds, who are leading in different ministry areas, Uh, and there's plenty of people who are aspiring to be shepherds, hoping one day to be in full-time formal ministry like Ben or Evan, or hoping to serve on the kids' church team or the youth team down the track. For those of us somewhere along that line, we need to be asking us ourselves some hard questions. Why am I doing this? What are my motivations? Am I shepherding just because someone has to do it? If I don't do it, no one else will. Am I doing it because I feel like I've had my arm twisted into doing it? Because my parents or someone else expects me to do it? Am I shepherding to get something out of it? Power is really addictive. And being the person who spiritually leads others is a big job. It attracts people who are hungry for power, hungry for control, and are looking for a clean, Christian-looking version of power. But being greedy will mean you neglect your sheep. And if you neglect your sheep, you can't be a shepherd. We need to ask ourselves, am I shepherding because I want to tell people what to do and have them listen to me? Or am I willing to get down in the mud with them and lead by example rather than leading by demanding? Being overpowering and overbearing isn't a leadership style. It's a sin. Do I think of myself as the shepherd or do I realise that I'm just one under-shepherd? serving the chief shepherd. There's plenty in here for shepherds and aspiring shepherds to think about. Uh, But the thing that all of us have in common here, everyone here, is a sheep. If you're here and you call yourself a Christian, then you are, or Peter thinks you should be, under the authority of a shepherd. Let's have a look at verse 5 together. In the same way, you who are younger... Submit yourselves to your elders. Uh, Whether we think of ourselves that way or not, we are sheep who've been given shepherds. Uh, And it's an idea that can be a bit confronting for us. Uh, We love having our options open, sticking with something for as long as it works. Uh, And it might be hard for me to realise that I'm a sheep who needs a shepherd, who's been given a shepherd, if I only pop into church once a month. Uh, or if I still haven't got around to letting my hub leader know whether I'll be joining them for hub this year. But remember why Peter is writing this. It's there in verse 12. He's writing it to strengthen us so that we will hear the true grace of God and be able to stand firm in it. And so Peter's saying that God gives elders who spiritually care and protect his people to strengthen them And we can and we should thank God for the good shepherds that he's given us. 
We have a shepherd in Ben who is shepherding us because he loves it, not because he wants, not because he feels like he has to do it. Evan leads us not for dishonest gain, but because he is eager to serve us. Uh, I should say neither of them are here tonight, neither of them asked me to slip that in. Uh, We can and we should be thankful for our good shepherds. Uh, Wherever you find yourself at church in the future, dig in, lean in, learn from and listen to your elders. Peter thinks it will be good for you. He doesn't say it will always be easy, but he does say that submitting to godly leaders will make you stronger, not weaker. Being humble and learning from your leaders in humility will help you to stand firm. That's what Peter has to say to shepherds and to sheep. Uh, But he also says that whether you're a shepherd or sheep, uh, you need to be sober-minded. The fact that Peter felt the need to write this letter shows that he's worried, worried that opposition, confusion, and the temptations uh, that Christians face will be successful. Let's have a look at verse 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter says Christians should be people who are alert, sober, switched on, awake to the fact that they will face opposition. The work of the devil rarely looks like the stuff that you see in horror movies. It's anything that makes getting the gospel out hard. It's anything that makes obedience to God seem like it's just not worth the effort. It could be things that block or hinder the gospel cause, like not being allowed to meet together. Uh, And that is the kind of spiritual opposition that many people in other parts of the world face possibly even the people that Peter was writing to. But it it could be just stirring up conflict in church, getting the sheep to fight with each other. Or it can simply be lulling Christians, getting them to switch their brains off to the things that will end them as Christians. The devil is a crafty devil. He will use whatever he can to assimilate us back into the world. Uh, There's a book uh, called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. Uh, As you can tell by the title, it's about a million years old, uh, and it was written by a guy called Thomas Brooks. Uh, I've picked a few headings out of that book. Uh, We're going to use those headings uh, to help us stay alert, to help us be sober-minded about what the devil is doing and how we can be on guard against it, how we can be especially alert to the things the devil might tell us that make sin seem okay or that make obedience to God's word seem too hard. Let's dive in. Let's have a look at some of these headings. Uh, Again, a very uh, old-style English. Uh, Satan's devices to draw the soul to sin is what these things are called. Uh, Firstly, uh, Satan might work by presenting the bait of sin and hiding the hook by showing us the sweet treat of sin and hiding the consequences behind it. Uh, He might work by lessening sin, by telling us that sin isn't such a big deal. Uh, He might tell us uh, 
He might be persuading us that repentance is easy and therefore we shouldn't worry too much about trying to cut sin out of our lives. Or he might be at work at causing Christians to compare themselves and their ways with those who are, quote, worse than them. Has the devil ever told you one of these things? What do we need to tell ourselves when he does? First of all, when Satan tells us how attractive sin is, we're supposed to remind ourselves what the Bible says about keeping as far away from sin as possible. Instead of playing around with sin, playing around with the bait, uh, putting ourselves in situations where sin will seem more attractive and more like it doesn't have consequences, we need to run away. Stop playing with the bait. We need to remember that uh, sin looks and tastes sweet at first. Of course we're going to be tempted by that bait. Don't be surprised that you find sin attractive. The reason that sin works is because sin feels good at the time. But there is a hook behind sin, and the consequences for sin are big. Sin will ruin our life now, and unchecked, it will ruin our lives forever. Uh, Next, Satan might tell us that sin is not such a big deal. Uh, When we catch ourselves thinking like that, uh, we need to ask what comes next. Giving in to small sins only makes bigger sins seem smaller and easier. When we tell that little lie, when we watch that video that we know we shouldn't watch and we tell ourselves just this once, all we're doing is making bigger sins seem smaller. We've done that thing, we may as well move on to the next thing. Uh, When Satan tells us that sin isn't such a big deal, uh, we should tell ourselves that there is more evil in the smaller sin than in the greatest suffering. No matter how small that sin is or might appear to us, it's evil and it's against God. And no matter how great our suffering is, that suffering is producing good things. It's what we've seen in First Peter. Suffering now is making our faith stronger. Satan might try and draw us into sin by persuading us that repentance, that turning away from sin and saying sorry to God is easy and we can just do it later. And therefore, we shouldn't worry too much about cutting sin out of our lives now. Just say sorry later. Uh, When Satan tells us this, we need to be alert. He's selling us a brand of repentance that says, well, I'll apologize for that later so I can crack on with sin now. We need to realize that uh, true repentance is only possible because God grants us the ability to repent. It's a beautiful thing about the gospel that God is the one who grants us the ability to repent. It's a gift from God. And so hardening our hearts against the one who gives us that gift is a dangerous game. We should also know that uh, Satan will tell us the opposite of God, that uh, repentance now, uh, he will tell us now that repentance is easy, but after we have sinned, he will present it as the hardest work in the world, which is the opposite of what God does. See, Satan is a deceiver. He works by telling us that Jesus' death 
wasn't that costly, that repentance is easy, which is a lie. But then after we've sinned, he tells us that repentance is impossible. God could not possibly forgive you for that thing that you have just done. He works by isolating us, making us feel guilty, instead of running back into the arms of our loving Father, who loves to forgive us. Satan might be working on you by getting you to compare yourself to others, by getting you to look at people who you think are worse than you. When Satan gets in my ear and gets me comparing myself to others, I need to be sober-minded about my own sin. Without God's mercy, I'm as good as dead because of my sin. Big or small, it all deserves God's condemnation and punishment. And it's only his grace in sending Jesus that I don't get that punishment. Instead of comparing what I do, uh, my actions and my desires with uh, other people or what I see of other people, uh, it's much better to compare my desires and my actions with God's word and trying to live in light of that. Uh, I hope this list uh, helps make you alert. I hope it helps you uh, become more aware of some of the tricks that the devil will try uh, to devour you. Because the devil is crafty. He wants you to sin. He wants the Christian life to seem too hard, not worth the effort, all too much. Things like this and many other things are things that we need uh, to keep reminding ourselves of, to be alert for and sober about if I'm going to keep living for Jesus. Uh, But notice this. We're often told in the Bible to flee from sin, but here, uh, in verse 8 and verse 9, we're told to resist the devil. Not flee, but resist. And that difference matters because it means that Peter expects us to win. He wants us to run away from sin, but fight the devil. And he can say that because uh, we saw back in chapter 4 that Jesus has broken the back of evil spiritual forces in his death and resurrection. The devil is a lion looking to devour us, but we saw in chapter 4 that Jesus has popped out his teeth. He can and he will try to devour us, but we can and we should stand firm against the devil because Jesus has taken his teeth out. And God will provide the strength for that fight. See, uh, being sober-minded is something that we do, uh, but being strengthened is something that God promises to do for us. Uh, A big part of being sober-minded is being humble. In verse 5 and 6, Peter tells us uh, multiple times to be humble, to be clothed in humility. Being alert means being alert to the fact that you can't do this alone, that you need strength that you don't have. Because the Christian life is hard. Staying alert, resisting the devil, being obedient in the face of persecution, it all takes strength, more strength than any one of us has. And if we are humbled by that fact, that we don't have strength to fight this battle alone, then we are exactly where we need to be. Let's read verse 6. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Again, if we skip down to verse 10 and 11. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. There's lots uh, in 1 Peter 5 about how to be good shepherds and how to be good sheep, how to be alert and sober about the challenges we face. But no one has more homework, no one has more application to go home and think about from this sermon than God. After this sermon, his job is to strengthen us. He promises to do it for those who are humble, who acknowledge that their strength isn't strong enough, that they need to be strengthened by God. And so we can have peace. We can resist the devil. We can have the sober mind that we need to live the Christian life because God is going to give us the strength to do it. If you're humble, if you're suffering, God will strengthen you. If, as it says in verse 7, you are anxious and you are throwing that anxiety on God in prayer because you know that God cares for you, he will restore you. He will make you strong. Being strengthened isn't something that you do. It doesn't depend on your credentials. It doesn't depend on how many people you've led to Christ, how much money you have, how many friends you have, whether you're married or single. God raises up. He is the one who restores, who makes people strong, who lifts up the humble, who depend on him. Being strengthened for for the Christian life is something that depends on God's grace. It's the same grace that Jesus was relying on when, as he died on the cross, he called out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus himself was expecting God to raise him up, restore him to new life, to eternal life. God promises to give us strength for the fight now. Strength to stay alert to sin and the devil. To stand firm when everything else is falling apart. Which is why we can have peace now. Peter can say at the end of this letter, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Because he knows that like Jesus Christ has already been, one day we will be completely restored. We will be raised up. Our opposition will come to an end. Our suffering will be in the rearview mirror. The fight will be over. The devil will be dead and we'll be shooting up the other end of that J-curve towards eternal life with our brother and our king, the Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, God gives us strength to be sober-minded to do this well, to do church well, to be sheep and shepherds together, helping each other stand fast in God's grace until our chief shepherd comes and we receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Why don't we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. 
please strengthen us to live for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.